Folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is January the 8th, 2021, and this is episode 2,801. Yeah, we're over 2,800 episodes. That means about 40 weeks out, we will have episode 3,000. Will we do something for episode 3,000? I don't know. It kind of feels like the next, you know, truly, you know, landmark episode is really 5,000. I, I don't know. But let me know if you think we should do something special for episode 3,000 when I will become, I guess, remember the old baseball movie with uh, uh, Bernie Mac in it? Mr. 3,000, right? Anyway, um, this is going to be an expert council Q&A show because it is what day? Friday! Friday, Friday, monster show of the week. I got a good lineup for you today. I have Dr. Ken Berry on talking about dealing with hypothyroidism. And uh, I've got Tim the Toolman Cook talking about combining DeWalt and Bosch tools. Why would you want to do that? Well, it'll make sense when you hear it. Got a question about little mini portable chargers, and I think they're all junk. What does Sean Mills think? He'll tell you. And I have a little addition to add to Sean's stuff. Chef Keith Snow is going to talk all about cooking with woks and seasoning, oil temperatures, and more. It's good stuff. Remember, I've always said cooking is a primary life school that we fail to teach people today. And that's part of why people spend tremendous amounts of money on food that's basically garbage because they don't know how to cook good food for themselves. Speaking of that, Doc Bones is going to talk about the hype versus reality with health products like Super Beats and Balance of Nature and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm going to tell you and why I think this is a great time to start a business. And In fact, it's been a great time to start a business since the pandemic started. It might have been the best time ever if you want your business to be successful long-term to start a business right now, and it's been that way for, what, eight months, nine months. It's counterintuitive. When I explain it, you're going to be like, you know what? I don't like what he's saying, but he's right. Maybe I need to get on it. Anyway, with that, let's go ahead and uh, start off with a quote of the day. I'm back to quoting Bill Mollison this week. Here's what I have for you today. Uh, I love this quote. This this quote to me, it, it, you know, there's a lot of pur what we call them purple breathers, young social justice warrior, modern uh, hipster type, spoiled little children that have gravitated toward the permaculture movement because they think it's about social justice versus being a design science. And um, the cult of the woke is, is heavy in the purple breather section of the permaculture world. Bill Mollison, who's co-founder of permaculture and has, knows a little bit about the mindset behind it, said, Stupidity is an attempt to iron out all differences and not use them or value them creatively. Now, he's talking about natural systems, but there's nothing that's more natural in this world, in my opinion, than a group of critters that evolved on this planet. That would be humans. And we are not going to iron out all the differences between people, and we shouldn't try. That's stupid. It's stupid. Trying to make everybody the same, that's stupid. Trying to get, make everybody equal when we're not equal is stupid. Trying to say that gender doesn't matter is stupid. 
It's stupidity is an attempt to iron out all differences and not use them or value them creatively. And it applies to our backyards. Stupidity is monoculture. That's what monoculture is. Let's iron out all the differences and make everything the same. Let's take this field and make it completely square. Let's, let's plow it in straight lines, whether that makes sense. Hydrology, you know, hydrology, hydrology, hydrology. <laughs> From a hydraulic standpoint or not, hydrology, right? Hydrologically speaking, it doesn't matter if it makes sense to, to follow a contour. The hell with that. We'll just bulldoze it as flat as we can and then plow in straight lines and plant it with one thing. That's literally attempting to iron out all differences rather than use them or value them creatively. Where if you look at a system like Mark Shepard put in, a new forest farm, right, where you've got all of the earthworks and all of the, the, the earth ripping and, and plowing that has ever been done, even though it's not annually plowed or root cutting, is all done on, on contour. The systems are planted incredibly diverse. And through those systems go lots of little critters, chickens and pigs and cows. We don't try to make them all equal. We don't say they all need to be together whether they want to be or not. We each let them do what they do best, and we use the system that we built to provide them the environment that makes them happy and time their activity at the right time, thereby using and valuing the differences creatively versus behaving stupidly, which is an attempt to iron all the differences out. In other words, we don't all have to get along. The only thing that makes you believe that we all have to get along is this misguided belief that the state should be in charge of everything in your life. People don't need to all get along. We don't. You And I know you're thinking, man, that just doesn't sound right, doesn't feel right. That's because you've been conditioned to believe otherwise. That's because you're conditioned. Do you not have people in your life that you're fine with them being who they are? You don't want to. You don't want to in interfere with their lives at all, but you just don't want to be around them. Yeah, people feel that way about you too. I know there's people that feel that way about me. I don't mind those people. People are like Jack's a dick. I don't want anything to do with Jack. I don't want to listen to his show. I don't want to go to his house. I don't want to meet him. I don't want to be his friend. I don't want anything to do with Spirico. He's a jerk in a bad way. They don't bother me. The people that say, because I don't like Jack, I think he should have to. Now we have a problem. See, we don't have to all get along. We don't have to all agree. We don't even all have to respect each other. From a standpoint of, I respect your belief in, or I respect the fact that you engage in the practice. I don't have to respect it. As long as we simply respect each other's right to exist and not try to force each other to coexist in ways that we don't wish to. If we do that, we might actually start realizing that we can design our lives, our properties, our homes, our communities in a way that values and uses differences creatively. I know it's counterintuitive, but there's going to be a lot of counterintuitive things that we're going to talk about today. With that, going right on into it, let's hear from Dr. Ken Berry. And I just want to say, before I have Ken answer this question, after having Ken here last year in November at the TSP workshop, I already had incredible admiration and respect for Ken. After having him spend four days here with, with, with myself and with the rest of the TSP audience, He went from a 9 to a 10, I guess I could put it that way. He is a hell of a dude, and he really cares about what he's doing. And I watched him speak to some people with incredible compassion, 
and other people with some real tough love. Who's that make you think of? I, I think brothers find each other, uh, whether they're born under the same roof or not. And uh, I'm so grateful that Ken and I uh, work together now. And I need to reach out to him because there's some things we talked about that now that the uh, holidays are over, we need to think about how we can get them done. Anyway, hypothyroidism, in this case, in a child... There's some really important things in here if you uh, are dealing with this or if you ever have to deal with this. And remember, this is the survival podcast, which means preparation. So foreknowledge of issues is important. So even if you're thinking, yeah, hey, me, it, it could be someday or it could be somebody you love or care about. With that, Ken, take it away. Hello, Jack and the TSP crew. This is Dr. Ken Berry, family physician, answering a question from one of Jack's listeners, David. Uh, David's 14-year-old daughter was recently diagnosed with hypothyroidism. That's low thyroid. She's got a scheduled appointment with an endocrinologist, but they don't yet know what caused it. And David is wondering if any foods or supplements or herbs would help with hypothyroidism. Thanks for the question. Uh, first and foremost, you want to know if there is a an autoimmune component to your daughter's hypothyroidism. So make sure either your primary care doctor or the endocrinologists check a TPO antibody and a TG antibody. This is often not checked, and so your daughter might just be diagnosed with hypothyroidism but the doctors have no clue that it's autoimmune in nature because they didn't check these two tests. So these two tests are mandatory for anybody who has a thyroid condition because you absolutely need to know if the condition is related to autoimmunity or not. So with that being said, now foods, uh, yeah, definitely you want to eat, she want, you want her to eat foods that are rich in fat, rich in protein rich in iodine. And I've got YouTube videos about all those topics if you want to learn more. Uh, what you definitely want her to do is reduce, completely eliminate the amount of processed carbohydrates that she's eating. If she still wants to eat some, some vegetables and some occasional berries, that's totally fine at 14 years of age. But sugar, Grains and vegetable oils need to be completely uh, eliminated from her diet, especially if there's an autoimmune component to her hypothyroidism. My wife, Nisha, has Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which was giving her hypothyroidism. And with the elimination of all the sugar grains and vegetable oils and eating a, very, a diet rich in fatty meat, she eats a little veg, but not much. She was actually able to get all of her thyroid lab values back within normal range and uh, lower the autoimmune component of her hypothyroidism almost completely back to normal without medication. So that's probably not going to be possible with everyone. But I think in some cases, if you catch the hypothyroidism early enough and it is autoimmune in nature, you can calm down the immune system's uh, inappropriate function and return the thyroid gland back to normal. Hope this helps. This is Dr. Barry. I'll talk to you next time. So I think it's great that he told you some things that need to be checked when you're, you're dealing with your doctor on this. And, and I wanted to add something. This is one of the, the most valuable pieces of advice that I've ever seen online, let alone from social media. And it was on Parlor, and I don't even remember who posted it. 
But I think it goes beyond knowing things like this. When you're talking to a doctor, what this person said is when they're like taking a case history or something or you're explaining your symptoms to them, when you get, I blah, 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 full stop, I'm done, right? And then your doctor says, yak, 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 yak. Before they say yak, 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 you've just told them your situation. Please repeat back to me what I just said to you. Because doctors are so busy a lot of times, they don't actually hear what you say. And if they didn't hear what you said, they can't possibly be basing their diagnosis or advice on what is actually wrong in your life. They've already made a preconceived decision, and they start tuning you out. Because And it's not their fault in some ways, right? Ken's harder on doctors than me, by the way. Um, they got 800,000 things going on in their life at one point, and this person's, and they've already made a decision this person has condition XYZ. Well, they could be wrong. And what you say is the trigger to say, hey, look, wait a minute, think about this. I've heard that before. That means this thing. And then use all that great big giant doctor brain. This person said, I've never once said, repeat what I said back to me and had the person repeat it back, the doctor repeat it back accurately. So then I hold on, it's not what I said. Blah, 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 blah. Now repeat it back to me. Da, 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 da. Okay, now we can go forward. And your doctor may not like that. You know what? Medical care is expensive. You deserve to get the right medical care, and you can't get the right medical care if the doctor didn't hear the words that were coming out of your mouth or understand them or decide they meant something different than they did. So I would add that to this kind of knowledge as you go with your physician. You're, you're, you, this is back to responsibility. We've been conditioned the doctor's an authority figure and to confer the responsibility to the doctor. You bear equal responsibility for a diagnosis and treatment with your doctor, in my opinion. And if it's your kid, then you bear it for your child. Because there are things that your doctor knows that you can't possibly know because you didn't spend you know, 10 years of your life becoming a doctor. And there's things that your doctor can't possibly know about you unless he fully hears you because he's not you and he doesn't walk around. He doesn't feel and have the sensations in your body that you do. There you go. All right. With that, let's go to our next one. This is on an interesting concept of combining tool lines, DeWalt and Bosch in this case. Both great lines, by the way. Tim, the tool man, Cook, with some thoughts on that. Hey guys, Tim the Toolman Cook back here from AllSeasonsMain.com, where we define what it means to be a successful entrepreneur as a modern handyman, where we share tips and tricks, successes and failures on the road to financial freedom. So I'm back to answer another question for the expert counsel, and let's dig right in. So this week's question says, would it be acceptable to run two different cordless systems on the homestead? I'm in an overlanding, off-roading group that has standardized on the Bosch 18-volt system. However, I am currently in a whole house remodel, which will be followed up by numerous projects around the farm. Although I love the Bosch system, their selection of tool combo kits is lacking compared to the DeWalt systems, which is what I'm looking at investing in. The DeWalt tools seem to offer more variety of tools as well as an easier to obtain from both retailers and online. I'm looking at the DeWalt combo kit, which I'll uh, include a link at the bottom here, to start as that will give me the least amount of overlapping tools with my Bosch system. Also, in relation to the DeWalt cordless system, is obtaining the cordless seven and a quarter inch circular saw from DeWalt worth the investment with the quote unquote standard circular saw blade? I thank you in advance for your time, and thank you for being an awesome member of the Expert Council. Sincerely, Bryce. Well, thanks, Bryce, so much for the kind words. I think it's crazy sometimes that I get to talk about tools all the time, but I love it, so thank you. 
So this is a great real-world question that has a few parts. So let's break each part down and see how it could work for you and other homesteaders and would-be handy persons out there. So the first section you mentioned, you already own a bunch of Bosch tools, but you're looking to get a combo pack of construction tools for a bunch of upcoming work and are wondering if it would work going with a different brand, i.e. DeWalt. So if you've listened to my segments or watched a bunch of my videos, you'll know that I'm a big proponent of having all tools being able to run off a single platform. Gives you built-in redundancy, the whole two is one, one is none concept. It allows you to not have to struggle with multiple chargers, multiple batteries, and different systems in general. It even allows you to tap into a normally untapped power source in case of power outages and emergencies. But that being said, it isn't always practical or economically advisable to do that. In the case of some of the finish nailers, DeWalt's price can be double that of some of the lesser brands. So if you're a person that uses your tools daily and is making money from said tools, I would say keep all the tools in the same format. But being just a regular handy guy who is doing a bunch of homestead work and is looking to get the most bang for your buck in a combo kit, get the tools that will best serve you for the best price you can get them for. Then, next Christmas, ask Santa for a DeWalt replacement for one of your Bosch tools, or even better, just replace them with DeWalt as they gradually wear out. Also, I included uh, to Jack in the email an Amazon link to a Bosch to DeWalt adapter. Just under 30 bucks on Amazon, it'll allow you to interchange your batteries as well. It's one of those rare adapters that'll actually allow you to charge the batteries with it installed as well, something that most of them don't offer. As far as this DeWalt kit being a good starter kit for someone who is doing a whole house remodel and a bunch of work around the homestead, I would say you're heading in a pretty good direction. Ignoring the fact that this is a DeWalt kit, and you all know how I feel about DeWalt, as far as the selection of just the tools go, I would say it covers four of the five essential handyman tools right out of the box. In the order that I'd use them, I would say the driver, circular saw, the drill, followed up by the grinder. The only one missing is a reciprocating saw, which is really good in a pinch doing renos and demos. So the downside to this kit is the fact that it only comes with one battery. It would also be... it. I would say it's almost a no-go for me on that fact alone. It comes with just a single 2-amp-hour battery, which is better than the 1.3 and the 1.5 that those low-end $99 combo kits usually come with. But you're going to be frustrated with only a single battery. You won't have a second one to keep on the charger and have fully charged and ready to go, and you'll only be able to run a single tool at a time. So... If you can squeak out just a hundred bucks more, there's a much more robust kit, which I'll also include a link for. This is a six-tool DeWalt kit, which comes with the above-mentioned reciprocating saw, and as well, it replaces the cheapy throwaway flashlight with a surprisingly handy oscillating tool. And the most important part is it comes with the two-amp-hour battery, but it also comes with a four-amp-hour battery, which is what you're going to need if you want to use the grinder and especially the circular saw. So that leads into the final part, and the final question, or final part of that question is the, the six and a half inch circular saw. Is it good enough, or should you upgrade down the road to the more industry standard seven and a quarter? So the first cordless tool of DeWalt I got after my drill and driver kit was the six and a half inch circular saw. And from day one, I was convinced I was going to upgrade to the seven and a quarter, simply because I thought the blades would be more readily available. But you know what I found out? That six and a half inch circular saw works perfect for any plywood and any two-dimensional lumber. I've not had a single time where I couldn't use it for what I wanted to use it for. They are so commonplace now that all the big box stores seem to keep some six and a half inch blades. Maybe not as many, but they're available and you don't pay that premium that you used to pay. 
I keep trying to convince myself that I'm going to upgrade to the 60 volt flex volt seven and a quarter inch circular saw, but there's just so many other tools that I absolutely have to have that I haven't justified moving up yet. And honestly, I don't see myself doing it anytime soon. Just have a good four or five amp hour battery or two if you're doing a ton of plywood ripping and you will not be let down seriously. So thanks Bryce for the question. Anytime I get to talk about tools is a good time. Keep the questions coming to Jack for handyman-related topics, tools, entrepreneurship, and anything in that realm. All right, so next up. Oh, before I go on to our next one, Tim mentioned a six-tool set. I do have a link in the show notes for you. It's about $600 bucks if, you, if you're getting started uh, in, in cordless power tools or you're going to upgrade, like you have old gear and it's time for the new stuff and you don't have any of this gear, or you have maybe one thing and two of them wouldn't hurt, like, no one's like, gee, I wish I had less power drills. I, I can honestly tell you that. Um, it is a fantastic, it is absolutely Jack approved. It is not just Tim Toolman Cook approved, it is Jack approved. If I didn't have any stuff and I was looking to get into DeWalt tools, it's what I would buy. It would be my, my entry into the whole 20-volt line. The Bosch to DeWalt adapter, it, it's sold out and there's nothing, and there's only one person or one company that made any that, that did what he said. So I don't have a link to that. If it comes back around, I'll let you guys know in the future. But it is not available. This is currently unavailable on, on Amazon. Uh, however, he was talking about amp-hour batteries and all. To me, when I buy something from DeWalt, if it comes with another charger and a battery or two, God bless them for it. And if it works out economically to where it makes sense for me to buy it with the extra batteries and the charger or what have you, or if I do the math, I'm ahead by doing it versus buying the bare tool, uh, I'll take what they send me. Two amp hours, one and a half, three, 47,000, whatever. When I buy DeWalt batteries, I buy five or six amp hour batteries, period. End of story. I buy bigger batteries. They last longer. They make your life better. Right now, um, and they were earlier this week, and they're back again today, the 5-amp-hour 2-pack is on sale for like 20 bucks off. I have a link in the show notes uh, where you can get it. If you are a DeWalt owner, you know DeWalt batteries are expensive, and you know that whenever you buy aftermarket batteries for your DeWalt, you wish you didn't because they just don't last, and they don't have anywhere near the ass behind it. Um, uh, it would be great if somebody made it a more affordable battery for DeWalts that worked, but they don't. Well, I say they don't work, but that it's worth doing, in my opinion, they're not. So when they're on sale, get them and get them while you can. Now, with that, let's go on to our next one. This one is on solar charging for things like cell phones. And I have a pretty negative opinion here. And Sean Mills, who knows more about solar than me, I said, hey, maybe I'm wrong. Well, let's see what Sean has to say. Hey, TSP, Sean Mills with HackMySolar.com, and today I've got a question about a powered charger for a bug-out bag. Uh, so Marie says, I'm looking at buying a solar-powered charger for my bug-out bag, or more likely for when there is a storm that takes out power for a few days. There are so many options and different price points on the market. I'm looking for something that will work when I need it, but is also not an overpriced piece of garbage. I already have one of those. I checked T-SPAS and didn't see anything there that would be off-grid. I'm not looking for something extensive. Like I said, it would work in a go-bag. I would just try to keep my cell phone charged so that I can keep in touch with the family. 
All right, so Marie, uh, personally, I agree with you. Everything that I have tested of the mini panel chargers or the backpack mounted chargers, etc., are junk. Um, but they're all around the same level of junk, so buying any of them will provide the same horribly low levels of charge. Um, I would try to utilize these if I were to buy one to charge up battery packs and then use the battery packs for recharging my phone in an off-grid type situation. Uh, these power packs, like the Anchor, uh, will handle any short-term emergency use with relative ease. Um, I would stick with the high capacity anchor, uh, charge, charge packs like the one that, uh, Jack has on his items of the day list at T-SPAS. Uh, personally, I have used the, uh, 26,800 milliamp hour battery pack for seven straight days and it wasn't even down to one light on the charge indicator and I was not attempting to adjust my, um, usage. You know, I was, I was surfing, uh, Facebook and texting and, talking on the phone and everything else and, and basically recharging it every day and, and had no problems. Um, now, so, so let's talk a little bit about emergency need, right? So recent testing has shown that depending on the model, uh, talk time ranges from 15 to 18 hours for any Apple phone made in the last three years. Um, and just, you know, about three years ago, I think at the beginning of 2018 or maybe late 2017, they changed up some of their battery technology. Um, and so pretty much everything in the last three years has that 15 to 18 hours, depending on actual talk time testing. Uh, and I use Apple because pretty much every other manufacturer has more capacity than the Apple batteries. Um, but so, you know, even using the bottom of the barrel, so to speak, in terms of um, talk time, if you use your phone for two, 10 minutes every two hours all day, that would be about two hours of talk time per day. If you turned it off in between usage, uh, you could get over a week out of a single charge. So in a actual grid down, uh, tornadoes have come through and taken out substations and power plants, and literally there's no way we're gonna get power back to the house for an extended period of time. Um, we can get a week out of a single charge, and that's talking every 10 minutes, every or talking 10 minutes every two hours 24 hours a day uh the anchor astro e7 which is one of jack's items of the day uh states that it can charge an iphone 10 times off of a single charge so even if we cut that by a third and say you can get six charges out of it we're closing in on two months of emergency comms right and i'm using the term uh, that term emergency comms because we aren't surfing the web we are we are calling and checking in with our community our family etc we're asking them to provide relevant details from outside the emergency zone and update us when we check in uh, and so again that, this could be five minutes of talk time every hour 24 hours a day uh, where we're getting relevant updates from outside of the community uh, that doesn't have the same limitations that we are dealing with. Um, you know, but if you, if you can use a phone on a single charge for a week, the most garbage piece of junk solar charger uh, can probably keep your anchor topped off with a, with a weak head start. Um, and so in that type of scenario where we're really managing our use, um, I think that those battery packs are the way to go rather than trying to find a mini solar panel type charging system that actually works. Because 
I'm not saying there's not one out there. I'm just saying I haven't used one that I would actually recommend. All right, guys. Well, that's it for today. Keep uh, getting the questions in. We'll keep getting them answered. So the uh, the 26,000 milliamp uh, charger, I'll link in the show notes to my write-up on it, is exactly the one that he's talking about that he has, and it's the same one I recommend from Anchor. And to me, it's the best bang for the buck out there. Though, like, their smaller chargers will still charge a cell phone completely from the ground of zero to all the way fully charged two or three times, like their 10,000 milliamp ones and what have you. And they're a lot less expensive, so you can go with a few of those or one of the big ones or a big one and a little one or whatever you want to do. But let me just add some things to this. You should keep that thing charged at all times. And then you keep your phone charged. Whenever you're not using your phone, it should be charged. And if you do those two things, you're in great shape. And to give you an idea of the resiliency of one of these battery packs... Um, the big anchor one he's talking about, I keep one of those in, in my car. And when we just went to, uh, my wife and I went to Broken Bow uh, over the shutdown that we had, our, our, our vacation, just for like a weekend getaway. And we were taking a lot of side state highways and stuff. It's not all interstate. So usually when you're using, you know, your GPS for directions, you, know, you can get on I-35 for, you know, 50 miles or 100 miles or you know, 150 miles and you know your exit, you don't really need to keep your GPS running other than it's kind of cool to know your ETA and all that stuff. For some reason, with both my Subaru that I bought for the wife and my Challenger, when you plug the phone in to the USB port in the car itself, it won't run the little app where you're looking at the map and you see yourself and it's turn-by-turn -turn directions and you look like you're a little dot on a thing going down the road and all, it won't do it. It switches to a screen, and I can't, and if you, anybody else how to make this go away, let me know. It switches to a screen where it just basically gives you the directions in a list. No map, no indication of what's coming, no, just here's your list of directions. If I wanted that, I would just write down directions like I used to in 1985. So, The issue then becomes that if you are running that app on your phone, it's it's very energy intensive because it's constantly running the GPS, it's constantly running the heads-up display, all that. So it, it drains batteries. So I drove from Fort Worth to Broken Bow, Oklahoma, with my phone plugged in, and it was like at half charge when I got in the car because I didn't listen to my own advice and I didn't plug the phone in before I went to bed. So the phone was at like 50%, 57% I think is what it was. So I plugged it into the charger because that charger being plugged into the phone doesn't change the way the app works. Stuck the phone in its little, one of those uh, WeatherTech uh, phone holders in the cup holder and brought up the directions and ran it, including like when I stopped for gas and I'll just let it run, all the way to Broken Bow. So you're looking at about a three-and-a-half, three-hour and 45-minute three drive of the GPS running constantly, the phone having started out at 50-something percent, and the charger being full. When we got to Broken Bow, the phone was fully charged. Who knows how many cycles of recharging that did. And when you ran the little test thing on the side of the, the battery backup thing, like Sean's saying, it still had all four lights. Now, on the way back home, when it was done, it had only three. So it had you know, three-quarters to half of, of its capacity left. I, I, I'm telling you, this is the way to go. And even if you're using solar, 
These backup batteries are the way to go. And here's my issue with why I won't recommend any of them. I hate liars. I hate liars. So there's a panel that's halfway decent, and I don't even want to link to it. Even though I'd make a commission if you bought it off of, uh, you know, T-SPAS. It's decent for what it is. It, but its its claim is that, you know, under optimum conditions, it will give you 200 watts of power. It's a foldable panel. It's a little bit bigger than a laptop computer when it's folded up. It has an integrated charge controller with it. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty good. If you get this thing in the blazing sun with no obstructions whatsoever and you clean it with a damn alcohol uh, pad every 15 minutes to keep every blemish off of it and point it perfectly at the sun, you might get 90 watts out of it here and there at best that will do. And you'll probably average in good light conditions about 60 to 70 watts. And if you run it, it's made by a company called Dokio, D-O-K-I-O. I'm not going to link to this thing. I will not be part of your decision to buy it. But if you want to see what I'm talking about, you can look it up. D-O-K-I-O, 200-watt foldable solar panel kit. If you run it through FakeSpot, it'll get an F because most of the reviews are fake, and the ones that actually are negative are the ones that aren't fake where people have actually tested what comes off of it, and these are not stupid people. Like Sometimes stupid people write reviews, and they're not very useful. These are people that clearly, based on what they're saying, understand what they're testing. And so I have a hard time recommending any of this because you'd get more out of a plain Jane, simple 100-watt solar panel. It just doesn't travel well. And if you really want solar backup, you're better off buying the stuff and putting a couple solar panels together and making a small off-grid solar system for your house even if just a battery sit in a closet or what have you, and then using it when you need it, and you can do it for significantly less money than you can when you, when you price what you actually get, like your utility out of it, than you can buy on any of these portable things. Maybe someday they'll make good portable ones. And some of these, like, if you made me pick one, I, I would say the Dokio works all right, but it's not even half of what it claims to be. Just my thoughts on this. Let's go on with another one. This one on seasoning pans and cooking with woks and oil temperatures and all kinds of life skill cooking stuff like that from Keith Snow. Hey, Chef Keith Snow with HarvestEating.com and FoodStorageFeast.com. Do go and check that out. Also, if any of you want to follow my daily stuff, you can do that at Instagram.com slash HarvestEating. So, Tim, let me answer your question about hot woks and cold oil and all this kind of stuff, um, and we'll get a little uh, into physics. So you know, uh, most of you know that when something heats up, it tends to expand. Uh, water, I mean, you put uh, milk in a pot on the stove and walk away, you'll know what I mean. Things expand, and there's not a lot of difference um, with pans. Every type of metal pan, um, I mean, it could be any type of pan, metal, ceramic, when it's heated, the heat is going to make it expand. Now, if you're talking about a steel wok, steel is actually a pretty soft metal. Um, I mean, it wouldn't feel like that if someone whacked you in the head with some steel, but it is very flexible. I know that from uh, racing mountain bikes. Um, steel mountain bikes are a little easier on the body as opposed to aluminum, which are super stiff. And... Uh, One thing that I'll point out is if you just pay attention on the highway and you see 
flatbed trucks, um, when they're empty, they will have an arch to them. So um, the top of the um, flatbed will kind of be rounded, and that's to allow for the flexibility. When weight is put on it, it'll, it will flex and become a little more level. So do pay attention to that, and you'll see what I mean. So when you have a pan, let's just say a wok that's steel, um, if you're looking at it on a very microscopic level, um, is not smooth. I mean, if you look at it under a microscope, it is very wavy and jagged on its surface. When you heat it, it tends to expand and fill in some of those holes, so to speak, so the surface will become a little more uh, rigid. So if you let the pan heat up, and this is a good practice that I do quite a bit, and we'll talk in a second about carbon steel pans, but you let them come to temperature, and then you put the oil in there. You still don't want to cook in the cold oil, but if the pan is hot, you put the oil in there, it'll start to dance, uh, maybe even come to the smoking point, um, but then you're ready to go, and the chances of the food sticking then are less than if you turn on the pan right away, put in the oil right away, and then wait for it to heat up. For some reason, um, it becomes a little more non-stick, so to speak, if you heat the pan first. And I see this in the restaurants all the time. Uh, but you definitely don't want to over, you don't want to like cook an oil that's badly smoking because that denatures the oil. And uh, that's not a good thing either um, because it'll make your food taste pretty poor. So lately I've been using some carbon steel pans. And as you know, through the years, I've talked about lots of different cookware, um, ceramic, uh, stainless steel, um, cast iron, carbon steel, uh, all these type of things, non-stick. And I think deep down I love the thought of non-stick uh, when it works, but these things just do not, in my opinion, and I'm talking about over a, a you know three-decade career in the restaurant industry, and I'm still in the restaurant industry, and I see what we use in the restaurants, and it is not non-stick. They just cannot hold up. I mean, I've purchased some uh, Scandinavian, that's as far as I'll go with the name, Scandinavian, very expensive non-stick cookware um, lately. I mean, within the last year, uh, just because my wife would struggle with um, eggs sticking and, and that kind of thing, just because she wasn't caring for the cast iron or whatever the pan might be properly, you know, doesn't have enough time, cooks the eggs, takes them out, leaves them in the pan, they become like cement. So I bought her a few really nice, and these things were, I mean, not big, like 10-inch um, nonstick skillet, 95 bucks, something like that. Um, you know, the best of the best, supposedly with the most health conscious top, um, coatings on there. And for me, I just do not believe um, in those coatings because, I mean, maybe they're great at room temperature, but when you heat things up, like I just said, things expand, uh, that stuff on there, it will off gas. And I just don't, uh, do I use them once in a while? Um, do I like, do I like it? No. And then the other problem is with other pans, experts will tell you that they leach metals. So if you use stainless steel, cast iron, uh, carbon steel, um, you're potentially getting uh, heavy metals into your food. And, you know, I also believe that because, uh, steel, for instance, you know, you can, 
you can take a grinder to steel, right? And and after a couple seconds, you can do damage to it. And if you're heating and cooking in it all the time, I think no matter what you use, you're going to be subject to some kind of uh, toxin. This is just the world we live in, sadly. Um, you know, it's no different than what they tell you how if you eat a lot of barbecued foods, the little black burnt-on stuff um, has uh, carcinogens in it. So, you know, folks, I don't mean to depress anybody, but it's hard to win in these situations. Now, Tim, I did get away from your topic, but I figured a little talk about the physics of pans would help. So, yeah, if you heat up your pans first and then put the oil in it, you have a better chance of it not sticking. But you also really need to work on the coating, and that is the, um, you know, making it seasoned. And there's different instructions on that. Now, I've been working recently with uh, carbon steel. I've got several of them. And when you get these things properly seasoned, they're like super nonstick. But you have to, you know, handle them properly. So the one I have, um, the way I make it nonstick is I I like lard. Uh, coconut oil works well too, but um, fresh, good, clean lard is great. So you take your carbon steel pan, um Take some lard and a paper towel that doesn't have any scenting in it and not a cheap one. Um, some of those cheap ones, you can get a lot, lot of lint off of them. You can also use a microfiber towel as well. But you rub that lard all over your skillet, um, but you don't want a bunch of it in there. You just want, you know, very light coating. And then I like to do this on the side burner of my barbecue grill because this will really stink your house up bad. And those kind of burnt uh, fat smells are hard to get out of literally the walls, the drapes. So you don't want to do this inside. So I just use the the, uh, side burner on the barbecue grill and I'll go out there and um, I'll heat it up. When it comes to the smoke point, I'll turn it off and I'm talking like it's smoking. I'll turn it off and then I will rub it down really well um, because that, the fat will kind of get a little funky. Um, rub it down, let it come to a complete cool stop, you know, so you could touch it and that's going to take, you know, 25 minutes maybe. And then rub some more lard on it, a very thin layer, bring it to the smoke point again, um, turn it off, let it cool a second, rub it up. Rub it all in well, uh, comes down to cold again. And I'll do that three, four, five, six times um, on my cast iron, on my carbon steel. And you have to do, you have to be careful because if you have too much on there, you'll get unevenness. So you really want a very, very thin coating. But if you do that, Tim, um, you will have excellent pans. Like I have a little oval shaped uh, cast iron. Um, it's not really a skillet. It's kind of like a little omelet pan. And I've done that like 10 times. That thing is bulletproof. I mean, I can cook fried eggs and you pick up the pan. They'll, it's so nonstick, they'll like fall out of the pan. So it is possible to work with your pans and make them nonstick. I hope this helps you guys and gals out there. I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas and definitely encourage you to check out foodstoragefeast.com. And there are coupon codes available. Um, TSP will, will do the trick and save you a good amount of money. If anybody wants to contact me, KeithSnow at gmail.com, Instagram.com slash Harvest Eating. Thanks, Jack, and Merry Christmas to everyone out in TSP land. Take care, folks. So uh, next up, got Doc Bones talking to you about Super Beats. I'm sure you've seen the commercials and uh, the question came in about that. So uh, when I sent it to him, I said, hey, when you're, when you're 
when you're talking about this, why don't you go ahead and talk about balance of nature too, because um, it's a similar but different thing, and it's in the same media. Like you see advertisements for both of these all the time. Hear them on talk radio, uh, hear them on the TV, etc. Tons of testimonials. But as usual, in the world of supplementation, sometimes things are presented in a way that seems too good to be true. So it kind of is. Is that the case here? Uh, Doc Bones, take it away. Hi, Joe Alton, MD here, also known as Dr. Bones of the survival medicine website, doomandbloom.net, author of books like The Survival Medicine Handbook, Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease, and Alton's Pandemic Preparedness Guide, plus designer of quality medical kits, don't forget, at store.doomandbloom.net. Today's question for the expert counsel is from Scott, who writes, what are your thoughts on beetroot powder? Seems like adding beetroot powder to your diet is a very good idea, but are the benefits as great as many claim? Scott, beetroot powder is a versatile item, can be used in cooking to color dishes, provide extra nutrition, and it's sometimes taken as a supplement in high concentration capsules, which is probably what you're talking about. Beets, a scientific name beta vulgaris rubra, are root vegetables known for their rich purplish red color. When you talk about beets, you're talking about the whole plant, including the greens. With beetroot, you're talking about just the taproot portion, which is what most people eat. According to a large 2015 review on the use of beetroot powder, its constituents, known as betalain, were used as a medicine all the way back in Roman times. They're claimed to display a potent antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, and even a preventative activity. This includes lowering blood pressure, improving brain function, helping prevent and treat cancer, reducing sugar cravings, maintaining a healthy weight, increasing strength and stamina, plus providing instant energy. Wow, what doesn't this stuff do? The answer is, it does exactly what eating beets would do, become part of a reasonably healthy diet. What about the 2015 review? Well, you have to look back to see who's paying for it. In this case, it's G's Fresh, G-apostrophe-S, Fresh, a large agribusiness consortium in Europe based in Great Britain, which produces a lot of, well, take a guess, cooked beetroot. Bottom line, if you want beetroot to be part of a well-balanced diet, go for it. But don't expect any miracle cures. Jack also asked me to talk a little bit about Balance of Nature products, which produces, among other things, all your fruits and veggies in a pill. This company is owned by a chiropractor from St. George, Utah, and is endorsed and advertised a lot on talk radio with tons of testimonials from happy customers. All this is fine, and I'm glad so many people like their stuff. But some people online claim it actually has saved their lives, and it seems to have cured just about every disease imaginable, if you take all the testimonials as gospel, that is. Yet, it seems there's less actual peer-reviewed studies for these products than for beetroot. Of course, there's what we call implied science. There's lots of science that says fruits and vegetables are good for you, but not much, at least that I can find, specifically regarding this particular freeze-dried product. Still, I take cure-all claims with a grain of salt, and maybe you should too. On their website, they do admit that their fruits and veggies in a capsule is not intended as a medical or healthcare advice or to be used for medical diagnosis or treatment for any individual problem. Any product that has to say something like this doesn't have enough data to convince the FDA that it has medical benefits. One thing I found strange is that ingredients are listed alphabetically and not by percentage or weight. 
you don't really know the exact composition of the capsule. Is it 99% kale? Is it 99% soy? 99% carrots? It's supposed to have a bunch of different vegetables in it or a bunch of different fruits in it. What is the majority of the product? Is it the cheapest ingredient? Another thing is that Balance of Nature products don't list any minimum daily requirement, MDA, percentages. They say you're eating the equivalent of more than 10 servings of fruits and vegetables. I find it hard to believe that 10 servings of fruits and vegetables don't reach 100% of the MDA in a lot of vitamin categories. Why not say so on the label? The label also doesn't list common information about carbohydrates, sugar, protein, or fat. Something I find strange for food, but I guess it doesn't have to list them because it's a supplement. I have to say it's hard to believe that you can get 10 servings of fruits and vegetables, even with freeze-drying, into a 2.4 gram capsule. I know these things are mostly water, but still, even if they're 95% water, 10 servings fit into one tiny capsule? I'll also mention that their products aren't cheap. If you were giving it to an entire family, it's a pretty big investment. Their statement on this is, The cost of nutrition might be considered pricey, but good nutrition and feeling great is worth every cent. So if you use Balance of Nature supplements and you feel great, I'm glad for you, but view any testimonials about them that claim cure-all effects for diseases with a healthy dose of skepticism. Do your homework, get the hard data, and make your own conclusions. This is Joe Alton, MD, that old Dr. Bones, wishing you the best of health in good times or bad. Thanks for listening. Hey, please consider supporting our mission by getting some of the quality medical kits, individual supplies, and personal protection gear available at store.doomandbloom.net. Also, join our new survival medicine group on MeWe. Thanks. All right. I, I want to wrap up today with the subject of starting a business and why I think right now, and, and you're, you're running out of time for it to be the optimal time to start a business if you want your business to, to run for decades, especially if you're building a business really for the first time because the economy is going to rebound. And you want to build your business when the economy is not in great shape. If you want the greatest potential long-term success of your business. I, I know that sounds incredibly counterintuitive, but if you, if you think about it, when the COVID thing really came into, like, okay, they're going to do this. Because I still think that what we did was stupid, and it's still hard for me to get my head around the fact that we did this to ourselves. There was no reason to shut the economy down. There was no reason to destroy the most uh, successful economy the United States has ever had other than to get rid of Trump, and Trump is gone now. Um, but I don't think that's the only reason why, because we're not the only ones that did this. Britain did this, right? France did this. Italy did this. Like, most countries did this. They weren't trying to get rid of Trump, right? They weren't all in it together, and they didn't all quit as soon as Trump lost the election. Um. No, I don't. I don't think that's why. I, I, I think it, it certainly didn't hurt that that was a byproduct of it. But this is just dumb. But when it comes to why it's a great time to start a business, and when this all became clear, the first week of it, I brought Doc Bones on to talk about the the, the issue with the virus itself, because that's who I have that would know the most. But I also brought John on to talk about investing. And I brought Nicole Sauce on to talk about entrepreneurship. The very If you go back and look, the very first week where it became evident that they were going to start running mass shutdowns in the United States, we talked about investing in business from the very beginning. 
And I've alluded to this over the years, and I've even talked about it, but I don't know if I've ever done a dedicated segment on it, of why a shitty economy is a great time to start a business. And again, it seems counterintuitive, but I think this will make so much sense to you. What of the most dangerous things the person can do when they go into business is hit everything perfectly by accident. The economy is in an upswing. There's more business than there is supply, and you pick a good sector and hit it as a home run, even though you don't know what you're doing. And the, what happens in that is this all stems back from a saying I know I've said on the air before. One of my mentors in life was a gentleman named Frank Madrin. This this man literally grew up as a as a as a hillbilly kid in the mountains of North Carolina and spent most of his childhood with with no shoes. I'm serious. Like this is this is this man's true background. And he ended up with a Harvard MBA. As I've said, that's a episode I talked about Frank before. It's a dangerous man. You got a hillbilly redneck from the mountains of North Carolina with a Harvard MBA. You got a dangerous guy because he can think on both sides of that dichotomy. And he said to me one time in the middle of the dot-com boom, and I had taken his, his company he had hired me into, he gave me a territory that was the number seven of eight territories, and I took it from seven to two in less than a year. And he said, just don't get too proud of yourself because you did a good job. Because you didn't just do really good, you outpaced everybody else. You brought this. You brought in, in like I was on, on 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 pace to probably become the number one territory in the next year. But even a turkey can fly in a tornado. And that's why starting a business when everything's perfect is is a bad thing, in many instances. Because if you look back, just over the period of time that I've been doing the survival podcast from 2008 to 2021, 13 years. Not quite there at 13 years yet. We'll hit 13 years this summer. You've seen the economy get good and bad, good and bad. And over the long haul, the economy always has periods of time where it gets really good and times where it gets really bad. And then even when we think the economy's doing relatively well, there are times when it's not. And you might say, what do you mean by that? Well, for you, and particularly maybe everybody around you in your region. So there'll be times when the overall economy is doing really well, but maybe the, the economy in California is taking a crap because they're letting people crap on the porch uh, of businesses and let them get away with it. Or maybe the economy in California is doing really good, but the economy in Phoenix is having a problem or South Florida or whatever. So even with the natural ebb and flow of the macro economy, regionally there's ebbs and flows of the economy. So what happens when you create a business at a time when everything's booming And you almost can't fail in your sector. Let's look at microgreens, since we all have a, a friend in common, John Dowie, Dowie Microgreens. Let's say you go into a microgreen business right as restaurants are beginning to open left and right in a city. So you are kind of the first person there with a really great high-quality product, and you're able to just walk in and sample chefs and just get business. Okay. So you build a successful business, and you even maybe have an employee or two, and you're 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 bankrolling some money off of this. You're making hundred grand a year selling microgreens to chefs. Okay, COVID hits, or something hits your city that, that leads to a downturn in business, and so the restaurants maybe even if they don't close like they did in COVID, they just simply start cutting costs, and even though they really think your product's better. 
it's an easy place to cut costs. So they start cutting costs, you start losing business. What do you do? How do you adapt? How do you take a business that's been successful from day one and has never dealt with an economic downturn and keep it successful and keep the lights on? Many people succeed and get through it and do it. But you know why they say the average business doesn't make it five years? Because whenever you start a business, somewhere in that five-year period, you're probably going to have a downturn. That's why it's a critical number. If you get through five years, you probably made it through one downturn. And once you make it through a downturn, you know how to make it through a downturn. You know how to gut check it. You know how to set up cash reserves. You know how to see it coming. You know everything you need to know to go, holy shit, a recession's coming. Back right before I started TSP, I was working with my, my other partner, Neil Franklin. And we, we one of the companies that we managed was a company called Data Workforce. It was in contract recruiting in the tech sector. And so we were, we were sending contractors all over the world to work on systems, just to make it really, really simple. And we had a group of recruiters that were basically headhunters slash placers. Because a lot of the people we had in our database, they were our contractors. And we just, okay, they need somebody here. Here's the person that matches, and they sent them out. And these people were making lots of money, lots of money because they were on heavy commission incentive, and there was a lot of business to be had that was a simple matchmaking process. We sat everybody down in 2007 and said, next year, this time of the year, this country and the world as a whole is going to be in a massive recession. We knew it was coming. We put things in line. We got rid of some people. We put people on some levels of remedial training to learn to hunt versus just to matchmake, and we made it through that crisis that we knew was coming because we'd both seen it before. Do you understand that? So what happens when you start with nothing and you build a business in the middle of a crisis? From the very first day, you know how to deal with the worst economy that you're likely to have for your business. So unless you're selling hand sanitizer or something like at the very beginning of this, right, where you're capitalizing specifically on the disaster itself, when the disaster goes away, the opportunity goes away, unless you're doing that, you're building an incredibly resilient business. Do you understand how it works? Don't you get how simple that is? If you can build a business in the middle of a COVID pandemic, which is actually an economic recession called by government, caused by government stupidity, what happens when you have a successful business in that environment and the economy rebounds halfway? Your business explodes. It becomes incredibly stable. And what happens when you cycle through and for whatever reason you come to the next downturn? You built the business during the worst time. Do you know how many cabling companies, data cabling installation companies, because that's kind of my background, went broke in Dallas-Fort Worth after the dot-com bust? Half of them. Do you know how many there were? A lot before it happened. And do you know why? Because there was so much business, everybody that was really good at what they did, that was working for somebody else, eventually put a couple buddies together, went out and bid on a job, got it, quit their job, and started a company. And they all built those companies when every school was using the money from the Clinton administration to completely cable every public school everywhere in the damn Metroplex. 
Everybody was building new offices. Everybody was upgrading from Cat 3 to Cat 5 and then the Cat 6 and then the Cat 6E. Like, everybody was upgrading. Everybody was building. Everybody was installing. And wireless really wasn't what it is today yet. So even if you only were putting in 30 people in an office, you had to cable it. You had four drops to a, to a location because we, we had sold you on the idea that you needed a voice drop and two datas and an extra data. And everybody was successful. And as soon as a ripple came... Half of those companies were wiped out, and half of the half that remained were bought out by the most successful 25% and absorbed. Because they were built in the middle of the tornado when even the turkey could fly. Right now, you're having to learn to fly like an eagle, and you're taking off from a flat surface with a downdraft. It's harder. But if you build a business, one day, one day your business will face that reality anyway. So if you start there, and you can succeed from the ground up during this time, what is it going to take to take you down? It's going to take something really, really exceptional. It's either going to be a disruption that takes out the entire sector you're in, or you're going to die. Otherwise, you should be okay. That's why now is a great time to start a business. With that, let me remind you, if you like what we do here and you want to support us, one of the ways you can do that is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z tspaz.com. Today's item of the day is one that I discovered about this time last year as I was building out all my new hydroponics and aquaponics projects. Uh, they're bulkheads from a company called Lifeguard Aquatics. They make two different kinds. They make threaded and slip. So the one kind, you use a little threaded male-to-female adapter to attach PVC pipe to it. And when I wrote the review, that's what I was using. And then since I wrote the first review, I've modified it because they've come out now Uh, came out right after uh, these first ones with what are called double slips. And what that means is both sides of the bulkhead. A bulkhead is basically a two-piece piece of material. You drill a hole in something you want to hold water in, and it bolts into that hole, and it keeps water in, but it lets water pass through with two pipes, if you don't know what a bulkhead is. Well, the double slips, basically, both sides of that bulkhead, you just take, if it's a half-inch piece of half-inch pipe, slips right into it. And you can dry fit it or glue it, depending on the application. And that means you don't need any extra pieces I've recommended a, a bulkhead from a company called Banjo for a long time. They're a heavier bulkhead. They cost three times as much. So unless this is like a heavy outdoor four-season application, um, I would go with these because they're, they're really good and they cost a lot less money. Uh, they cost so little that you know I use half-inch and one-inch bulkheads all the time. And I keep a, a box of a few of both sizes in my shop of these bulkheads just because it's so handy to have them around for all the little projects I do. There's a whole write-up on them. There's a video. Um, this is another one of those things that since I first reviewed it, we're talking over a thousand items have, have been sold in various you know sizes and shapes and forms of this product uh, last year. And I've had no complaints about them at all. I learned about them actually from an aquarium forum 
where people are doing aquarium work and drilling acrylic aquariums and stuff like that. And, I mean, yeah, that's all indoors, but think about it. If something fails indoors like that, it's a problem, right? If you have some leakage outside, as long as the whole thing doesn't drain out and the fish don't die, it, it spilled outside, it doesn't count. You have problems with aquariums inside, you get angry spouses and all kinds of stuff. So if it, if it works for the aquarium people, it's probably a good product. And in this case, it is. Uh, check them out. Again, they're made by a company called Lifeguard Aquatics. And this would be a good item to keep a few on hand for you if you're the kind of person that does a lot of projects like this. When the whole COVID thing started, of all the things you'd think are crazy to disappear, these went in a very limited supply, and you could get them But at one time, the manufacturer uh, selling on Amazon or the vendor selling on Amazon had a limit of two per order. And if you tried to do two orders in one day, they wouldn't let you do it. So just it's funny what, what, what goes in a short supply. These things are great, though. Again, Lifeguard Aquatics, Threaded Bulkheads. The other way to support us, become a member. Go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on Members. And you fill out a form and set up payment and become a member and get discounts. And you know this time of year, I want to reinforce, we got discounts on plants and seeds, and all kinds of gardening stuff. So check us out for that, and your membership will probably pay for itself off that alone. If you use CBD, we have some great providers with that. Uh, that easily pays for a membership for a year, and you're supporting the show at about 18.3 cents an episode. We have like 50 other discount vendors. and cool. I mean, we've got gun adapters. We've got all kinds of cool stuff. Check it out today if you have never done so. With that, Let's wrap things up with the song of the day. This is by the Bellamy Brothers. Um, I've always loved the Bellamy Brothers, and I guess my favorite song by Bellamy Brothers is really two songs that are really one song continuing the other. It's Old Hippie and Old Hippie, the sequel. And I, I, there's a lot of other great uh, songs by Bellamy Brothers. This is a new one. But, I mean, I, Bellamy Brothers, what I like about them, they were big, but they weren't so big that they only played giant concerts. So like back when I was a young guy hanging out in country bars in Texas, uh, there were a couple different times I saw Bellamy Brothers live at, you know, bars. Not little dive bars, big-time bars, but, you know, where you could, you know, walk up, and there they are on stage, and they're right there in front of you. And they just, it, it, they're also the kind of guys, they don't do a whole lot of hanging out, but they do kind of talk to people and stuff like that, just regular old guys. This song's called Dream the Dream. Dream the Dream. And uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. It starts out with a kid, and he wants to be a musician, and his dad just tells him, or his mom just tells him, dream the dream. Just go on. Dream the dream. And when he finds a woman he's really into, his dad tells him, just dream the dream. Just go on. Just do it. Or at least don't stop believing in it. There's so much from that. If you guys watch me, Augie Mornings, my video series I do every morning, they're about 10-minute videos, I've had, and today was no exception, a week of people telling me that they can't do the things that I talk about doing because it's too hard for them or they don't have enough money or there's no way they can ever have land. You know what? They stopped dreaming the dream. They turned off the mental computer. They shut it down. What I said today in Miyagi Mornings is positive thinking is very powerful. It really is. But it has its limits. You can't just say, I want a million dollars and visualize a million dollars and a million dollars is going to show up. That kind of hocus pocus nonsense, you know, thinking is, is just stupid. Positive thinking has limits. But you need to use it anyway because it still works. And here's the dangerous part. Negative thinking 
has infinite power. While there's a limit to how much positive thinking can do for you, there's no limit to how much damage negative thinking can do to you. And the only antidote is to think positively, to dream the dream. In dreaming the dream, we start to question ourselves as to how we can make it come true. And in those questions of how can we, we find answers. And in finding those answers, we find more questions, and the computer begins to work for us instead of against us. Because our mental computers, our brains, will work on any problem we give it. And it will do its best to find us solutions and answers to what we ask for. When we program it negatively, we're asking us, we're asking our brain to justify our decisions to not act and to find excuses for our failures. And it will do exactly that. When we dream the dream, when we challenge our brains to find ways to make things happen, even things that seem insurmountable at the time, we may not always get what we want. But we will always move in that direction. Choose carefully because that road, it only forks in two directions. And when you get to that fork, you're going to have to take one of them. And you can believe you've chosen progress. But if you're using negative programming, you've chosen to cling to failure. With that, hope you enjoyed this week. It's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. When I was just a boy, I was walking through town Saw a man playing a guitar and I heard that sound And I told my mama, that's where I'm bound She said, son, go dream the dream When I turned 16, I met Sally at school Her sweet young body made me shake like a fool I didn't have to ask daddy, he said, boy, just be cool and go on Dream, 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 dream. You just seen the best thing that you've ever seen. Don't even think about it. Just dream, dream. So I got me that guitar and the sweetest little girl. Got a tiger by the tail out there shaking up this world. When we walk down the street, you know the flags unfurl. I said, come on, girl, let's dream the dream. And I got a little older, priorities changed. Seemed like the sun never shine unless it's followed by rain. So I try to help some folks by feeling their pain. And I told them, go dream the dream. Just seen the best thing that you've ever seen. Don't even think about it. Just dream the dream. Now I'm singing and playing on that stage every night. Me and Sally, you know we're doing more than all right. And I can hear her whisper when we turn out the lights. She says, darling, let's dream the dream. Dream the dream. Just seen the best thing that you've ever seen. Don't even think about it. Just dream the dream. Dream the dream. Dream. You can make life better than it's ever seen. Hold the people that you love. Just dream the dream. Dream the dream. 
You've just seen the best thing that you've ever seen. Don't even think about it. Just dream the dream. Dream the dream. Dream the dream. You've just seen the best thing that you've ever seen. Don't even think about it. Just dream the dream. Dream the dream. Dream the dream. You've just seen the best thing that you've ever seen. Don't even